I'm not sure if this is a thing nationally, but where I'm from in Northern California, before you can graduate, you have to do an assignment that takes a full year called a senior project that you present to a group of teachers who give you a combined grade that's worth like a good portion of your overall ability to graduate. Some students build guitars or fix cars or do fundraising, and somehow I convinced my school that I was going to write and draw a 22-page comic. I did about half of it over the course of that year, and I went into the presentation absolutely fucked because of my natural but because of my natural charisma, I convinced them that I deserved a B for what amounted to a stack of unfinished pages about Green Arrow. I picked Green Arrow because while Green Lantern was my favorite comic book character at the time, my favorite book far and away was Green Arrow. This was in no small part because of Kevin Smith's writing the first couple of trades, and I was absolutely the kind of kid that loved Kevin Smith at that time. But I can't stress enough when I say that it it had more to do with Phil Hester and Andy Parks' art uh, on that book, which I followed throughout that long run after Kevin Smith went off to make movies again. I stayed until they I stayed until they did, and then I followed them wherever they went after that, whether it be fill-ins or random ass graphic novels about Truman Capote, which Phil actually didn't even draw. Um Phil's art was one of, if not the biggest inspirations for me when I was a teenager discovering comics by way of the San Joaquin County Library, and he's one of the biggest inspirations to me now as a 10-ish year comics pro who was constantly amazed by Phil's ability to push his art even to this day after having the kind of career in comics where guys usually just plateau and fall off and go away. I'm so excited to have him on the show today to talk about comics and life and being an old school comics pro. Uh, welcome to the show, Phil Hester. Hey Ramon, how's it going? It's going pretty good. You like that? Yeah, I was like, I was, I'm blushing here. If this were, a, <laughs> if this were a video chat, people could see that. <laughs> it's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I was just, I, I did mean it though. When I was in high school, I went to the library, and you know, like just having very limited knowledge of comics, I got these Kevin Smith books because it's like I know that name. Right. But then, like, I really did like your art. There was something about it that was like, because uh, I loved you know frank miller eventually and there was something like there was some connective thread that as like a child or like a teenager yeah. i didn't quite understand but then when i got older i was like oh <laughs> you know what i mean it, yeah. like it, it dawned on me that that's what you were doing but because of the color and because of the you know the different kind of storytelling it was like kind of yeah ethereal yeah, I, don't, I don't think people understand I, I, I mean i don't think artists understand those threads in their own work like you yeah. can't, you don't totally understand what you're synthesizing when you sit down to draw, like all the influences of what you've consumed. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's totally unconscious. And sometimes you, if you've been doing it a long time, you learn what to, what strings to pluck, you know, for each job. But those, you don't control what strings get put in you. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Like, yeah, you know, that's funny. Cause I used to, I used to bounce around with like different kinds of style. Like I used to, yeah. when I first got into it, you know, I was just trying to draw like Frank Miller. Cause I thought this is the truth, you know, like big blocky mm. shapes, you know, and then I I just try to do everything. Like I tried to draw like our atoms oh, yeah. for a little while. I tried to draw like different people. And then once I sort of like tr- just tried to draw what felt natural, then yeah. it was like, oh, no, I'm not those guys. I'm a Frank Quietly ripoff. That's like a <laughs> taller store version of that. That's who I am. But then, you know, because I'd done all that other stuff, it all feeds into it. And I think yeah. The older I get, the more I can sort of like mix in my love of like, you know, Silvestri or like mm-hmm. whoever into that too. And oh, it, it feels right. Yeah, certainly. And I think you're lucky to be coming up at a time when um, the mainstream is more accepting of that sort of experimentation. And because uh, like when I when I was coming up, when I was like in my early 20s, I thought I would have two styles. Like I thought, well, I will do... I'll try to draw like Steve Rude or Alan Davis, <laughs> like I'm supposed to, uh, yeah. you know, for Marvel and DC. But then for fun, I will go over here and draw like Jose Munoz or, um, you know, Ted McKeever or whoever. And I thought, yeah, those, that's interesting. Those two, Sorry, I thought those two things would be like parallel tracks. The root, the truth was in the middle. Yeah. But the more you sort of develop, the more it, it like merges all together, right? Like, yeah, the truth was in the you. middle and I had to yeah. like, that's why sort of like, even on Green Arrow, there's like, um, uh, even though my work is like, can have like these dark, like Frank Miller moments like you're talking about, there's still this sort of like intractable kind of like bounciness at the heart of my work. And it comes from like seeing Joe Staten when I was a kid, you know, seeing him mm. draw E-Man. And I'm like, that's never getting, like, I can't beat that out of me. But at the same time, if I try to draw something like completely light, like, totally Bruce Tim animated style. There's still going to be some kind of brutal <laughs> like forms <laughs> and, and shapes in there from Frank Miller. So like, I can't, you can't tease, like if you're being true to yourself, like all that stuff is going to come crashing together and yeah. it's your job to sort of like pull, pull a signal out of that noise, you know? Yeah. You sort of like, you can figure it out just by, it's not an easy process, and that's what I think is sort of like a. I when I meet artists, like younger artists, like uh, there was a friend of mine who, you know, I could tell he wanted to draw. I could tell he was going to be good, you know. Yeah. But I'm like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know about what he's trying to do. So I just gave him like different kinds of books, you know, like different. Oh yeah. I actually yeah. gave him a bunch of my Akira to loan, and I still haven't got that back. But <laughs> unrelated. <laughs> I was just thinking about, wait a minute, that's where those books are. But, you know, you, I just gave him like that and J.H. Williams and like a bunch of other stuff. And I'm yeah. like, just look at all this and then, you know, figure it out, you know, because what you're doing is cool, but it's just, you're just trying to do one thing. And like, you're young enough that you should be able to try and like explore a bit in that, you know? Yeah, no, that's good health. That's a good prescription. Yeah. And, you know, I was lucky I had a lot of different people that like did that for me, you know? That like yeah. put me on the right, and like I was lucky too because I came up during the internet. When, oh yeah, like you know, that I, was all message boards, you know. Like when I came up, the only like the only manga around was Barefoot Gen, or I saw it, you know, like or occasionally you'd see a Tezuka thing get over here. Mm. 
So like when um, uh, like the first manga translations came out over here, I was in, I was already in college, you know. So I guess I'd seen Akira a little bit, but <laughs> right, I was I was totally like I wasn't fully formed, but like like my core influences were sort of already set by American comics. Yeah, I mean for for me the same thing. It was like I, I didn't I didn't read my I was talked on the last episode of this. I talked to Dragata about this. And he was the one who really like sort of told me like him and Daniel Warren Johnson and James Heron, they all kind of told me like this is good manga. But I was like real like pig headed about it. Oh yeah. When I was when I was in college and when I was in high school, the kids that liked manga were just like <laughs> the the most annoying kids that I would see. So yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be around them, much less reading the same stuff as them, you know? Yeah. No, I would when have I... to like step over them to get to the books that I wanted to see at the uh, library or right. Barnes and Noble or whatever. No, when I was, um, when I was like a teenager and through high school and college, like I was so eager to see anything. I mean, I love Marvel and DC, but I was yeah. eager to see anything else. So like when like something like Captain Canuck popped up or like those first Eclipse manga translations, like Area mm. 88 and, um, my, the psychic girl and that stuff, like I was all over that stuff. Um, I think I own like every Pacific comic that ever came out just because it, it was more, it was something besides Marvel and DC because I love comics so much. I just wanted to see, I'm like everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like the, yeah. <laughs> I'm like those, um, those are music reviewers that pre, like, I think pre- are pretending to like country and rap and cl- <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I, those people are real because I'm that guy for comics, you know, what kind of music do you like? Oh, I'm all I'm all over the place, but country rap? No, not country. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, just my, you know, like college. I'll I'll turn on like even today's college rock stations, you know, um, just like alternative stuff mostly. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like whenever I see you talking about music, it is like the whatever alternative is there. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's like going back to like I don't know. I I know it's hard to say about it because like the cars were like popular. Yeah, they were like when I was now they're like cool. Right. When I was in junior high, they were like and that was like something I had to fight in my own self because like um, they were so popular when I was in high school. I was like, that's bullshit. But they were (laughs) good. But they were good. You know, and like like, Yokosek is a sellout. (laughs) Yeah. Like I couldn't I couldn't accept ACDC into my heart because they were so popular. And I was just like, (laughs) no, I won't be part of that. And then like I have to admit it's it's good. But I was uh, one of those types too. But for like bands that were popular, and I just didn't understand. That. Yeah, <laughs> like I was like, "Oh, Slipknot—that's my thing." But yeah. like, I didn't know that. Like, oh, Iowa, Iowa's own. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I have a lot of deep ties to you that I want to get to in this conversation. <laughs> One of them is my deep appreciation for Iowa. Who's the lead singer? What's his name? Corey Taylor. Yeah, he, I found out like at a, at a con that like he was at my table for like five minutes. Like, oh my a, god! But a normal, you know, he was a normal person. He wasn't dressed yeah. up in his state. Yeah, he wasn't wearing his <laughs> like, <laughs> And, like, somebody was like, do you know who that was? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm like a 50-year-old man. I don't know who that is. I mean, I, <laughs> I've heard Slipknot knows. And, like, again, my assistant loves Slipknot. Like, he's crazy. Is your assistant from Iowa, too? Yeah, because he's from Iowa. And he's nice. 27. So, like, he's he's okay. Slipknot's demographic, you know? But, right, right. Yeah, so he had he had to educate me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, you know, I was like in a weird headspace where like, you know, I, I remember uh, for that high school project, actually, I read Eisner Miller. Oh, yeah, that's a great book. 
It's so weird. For it's like when you're get, when, I feel like when you're that age too, because I was, I love Sin City, you know, I love Spawn, but then like Will Eisner was like the guy that they all loved, right? Yeah. So then I started reading Contract with God, Dropsy Avenue, right. you know, all that family plot or family, uh, what the plot, but then the other one of a family something or other. Yeah. But I, I read all that stuff, like every one of those things. I read it and it was like. I think I got like really wise in that short period of time oh, yeah. about life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but, it's a fun time. Like when you get opened up to something new like that, that really speaks to you. It's it's really cool. Like for me, it was um, I knew I was supposed to like Will Eisner when I was in high school because yeah. um, Stranko featured him in that um, history of comics. He ran a whole there's a whole Eisner story in the history of comics, a whole spirit story. And mm. like I could, I could see it and appreciate it. And then when the dreamer came out, that was like what really knocked me out like oh, oh yeah the dreamer is like yeah i i think that should be one that everybody should read too because it's like it's sort of like a like the like the best biopic about comics well one yes. of the best biopics. Yeah. there's been a, there's been other good ones now that, too, i mean but, that world is gone now but that's yes um as a creator you face the same sort of challenges and it's it, uh, it like really spoke to me and then also i had a good time like teasing out who all the people really were yeah when i was a kid by the time i got to it it, there was like glossary in the back so it's like you get there wasn't when i was a kid i was like oh gartooth is george tusca and i felt like a genius (laughs) yeah i uh i said earlier that i loved your work and i feel like for a while in between green arrow and you know whatever you know there's always like these real definitive trends and you were kind of like i feel like underappreciated in the industry i don't know if you felt that way but i felt that way as a big fan of you you know yeah a little bit and, you know, lately I think that there has been, like, a new appreciation of of your work and, like, a respect from younger people that, like, I'm really happy that you get to have this, like, resurgence and, like, you know, you're doing uh, yeah. Gotham year one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're doing the Superman shit. You get, you're, like, people are finally like, oh, yeah, Phil Hester's been great this whole time. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You know maybe what I mean? Just, like, uh, maybe that's my perspective. Maybe good. I don't know. No, it's not that. But, you know, do you, have you felt like that? And how, oh, what yeah. was it like to sort of experience that? Um, yeah, definitely. I think when I was um, when I was starting out, like like Marvel and DC weren't exactly high on people that had a lot of Toth influence. Mm. Um, and that's completely changed. I mean, when I was breaking in, it was like image time. And so, like, it was definitely the time of lines. You know, <laughs> like lines. Some people say it's still the time of lines, Phil. I don't like the way that you treat lines right now. <laughs> I know, but you know. <laughs> I'm but kidding. There's I'm lines kidding. That, I know what you're saying. Okay, I'm like if you go to Frank, quietly, there's lines that describe things. And then there, yeah. if you go to other artists, there are lines that don't describe anything. They're, they're basically graphic equivocations. They don't mean anything. Right. They're just there to take up space. So, and I'm not saying that all the image guys were like that. I'm saying a lot of the people that were chasing image had these like meaningless lines everywhere and i was like always about paring things down paring things down and like they're like if we want that we'll go get steve rude to do that because he can do that and like draw like 10 of you concentrated (laughs) (laughs) like into one right so like the the my impulse was sort of like not popular at the time like i remember a lot of my rejection letters um the rejections were just accurately describing what i was trying to do (laughs) You know, they'd be, they'd be like, <laughs> oh, you seem to be reducing all these figures into like almost glyph-like forms. And instead of using textures, using these sharp black shapes. And I'm like, yeah, 
That's what, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And they're like, yeah, that's why we can't use you. So um, I think like the aesthetic overall has changed. Like um, yeah. people started, definitely people appreciated Toth more. And I think Frank Miller had a big part to do with that. But, um, but I think the more recent one probably was like Isomni. Isomni. Like Isomni. Yeah. He, he, he popularized that so much that it was like after he came out, there was like a whole wave of other guys that drew like him. And then oh yeah, you were there and you had already been there, but with like a more angular version of it. Yeah. And but also, I, you know, I think I, I have more like, like I've talked about before. I have more of that like cartoony spirit at the center of my stuff that will yeah, yeah. keep it from ever being as high fidelity as, as Chris's. And also I can't like no, very few people can draw as well as Chris. So sure. like there's guys like, Chris or J.H. Williams that like they can they could turn a little knob in their head and draw however they want to draw. Right. I was, I was going to say like my favorite Somni stuff is when he goes cartoony. It's like the the more realistic stuff, which I understand is the more more popular stuff. I like more when he did like the Thor Mighty Avenger. Yeah. And, you know, I think Firepower is getting to that too. Like Firepower is a little bit looser and like more a little more cartoony than his other stuff, and I think it really works. And the the Oni book, the Jonah, yeah. the Impossible, whatever it's called, that the kid one, that one is, is super. It was like heavily that. Yeah, he's really uh, good. And those are both colored by Matt Wilson, who's like yeah. fucking awesome. So like, yeah. he's going to look good regardless. Well, I remember but... Chris when he was like a kid and he was like already really great. He was already had that kind of high contrast Toth influence style. And, right, because um, he did the uh, Tr- Capote book that yeah, I with joked Andy. about. Yeah, yeah. And like we're like you're great already. I don't know what's going to happen to you. You're going to turn into some kind of huge monster. And he did. He turned into the, like the drawing god. Yeah, it, it, I, I do think that that ushered in that appreciation for the like more like high contrast and uh, you know yeah and like t- more and like, old school. It, it kind of killed the wave that was not killed, but it added to the wave that was there that was more like photorealistic, sort of like mm-hmm. after um, the motherfucker that did Authority. Whatever. Oh, Brian Hitch? You mean Brian Hitch? <laughs> Brian Hitch, thank yeah. you. I felt like there was like that sort of almost photorealistic, like that kind of thing, Dusex Machina, yeah. you know, like those like those more photorealistic styles that were popular in like the early 2000s. Yeah. And then there was like a distinct ch- sea change in the mid 2000s. Yeah, like I don't know if like one thing had to throw over the other thing. I think you said it right. It, like the scope, yeah. br- the scope just broadened a little bit. And so like there was room for that. But I, I think also, like, Toth underwent a larger appreciation during that same time period. Like, Toth was a, was a, like, almost an artist secret. Like, when I was coming up, like, I don't think the wider audience had an appreciation for Toth because his work was so, like, in the later years, definitely kind of sparse. Mm. Like, I mean, like, sparsely seen. Like, he didn't do a lot right, of work right. at the end. So, um I think Toth underwent like a reevaluation and a reappreciation and all the people that like, I was like that were, I was huge fans of kind of underwent that like Bernie Kriegstein underwent the same sort of thing. And Harvey Kurtzman and all those EC guys, they all sort of found a new appreciation as that work was reprinted throughout, throughout time. So like, I think what happened was comic book artists have like an, a set of aesthetic heroes that, the comic book reading populace doesn't necessarily know about, but I think because Mm -hmm. of like everybody being online and there being a lot more like scholarship about comics, 
Like those yeah, two, no more blogs. Those two, yeah, Tumblr. oh, definitely. Those two like um, spheres started to meet. So mm-hmm. comic book readers started to be aware of artists that were previously only quote unquote artist artists, and so like it led to that. And also, manga had a lot to do with it. It led to like sort of an aesthetic expansion in the readers' tastes, and that was good for everybody. Uh, speaking of artist artists. So I don't know if I don't know if I've ever told you this or if you knew this about me, but one of my big like personal he was a friend of mine. I I knew him because he used to live down the street. He had a shop down the street from where I lived. It was a uh, Tony De Zuniga. Oh yeah, he was like a inker. Yeah, oh, back yeah. in the seventies, he was a Conan guy. You know, inker, I know you're a big Conan artist, fan. Yeah, he drew he drew on his own too. Yeah, really talented guy. Oh yeah, well I, he he we used to hang out at his uh he had a studio kind of thing where he's him yeah. and his wife had sold like uh paintings and stuff and so we used to hang out there and it was next to a bar called the captain's anchor people would get drunk there and like women he would have them coming off the street and they would model for us <laughs> and so and he would draw people like the most beautiful versions of them you'd ever see that's seen. awesome and he had left comics to work at like Sega oh, yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. you know but um yeah i know you're a big conan fan and oh one thing um that i really liked about um I'm doing a barbarian comic, and one thing that I really liked about doing that was trying to capture not so much like Bushema, but the Filipino inkers that worked over him. That I think are the people like, that like artists, artists know, like, like Alcala, like De Zuniga. Yeah, like Rudy and uh, yeah, it was like it's so fun researching it. And I was wondering, you know, they had I think at the time they had unconventional approaches to comic art compared to especially like American inkers. Yeah, they were and, much um, more lush and florid, and I think that. A lot of that was born out of the fact that they knew a lot of their stuff wasn't ever going to be colored. So oh, yeah. if they wanted to get a texture or if they wanted to get like a value change in there, it had to be done with a line art or a wash. So that's why so many of them are so just like really crazy lush. Nestor Redondo also. Um, Nestor Redondo, yeah. All those guys. I love uh, his Rima, the Jungle Girl. That is such a beautiful comic that nobody knows about. Every, that's what I'm saying. Every artist, page artist, of that comic school is gorgeous. pros. Yes. Every page of that comic is gorgeous, <laughs> but I was so like, I have to give my child self some credit because when I first saw Nestor in Swamp Thing and in Ragman, like in the seventies, yeah, I I logged I like glommed onto that immediately, like even though so I, that's what I was going to ask you was uh d- like if you had a personal appreciation for that back when you were younger, like was it like you could see it? Was it like when you look at Conan, was it like oh this is different? Yeah, I would. I think the thing they were trying to do with Conan, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some like Conan scholars who know, but I think yeah, that I, I'm not. I'm not that person either. Like, there's a terrible. There's this terrible thing that happens when like somebody gets to about like my age in comics and is still here, like still pounding away, and like people like like I saw it happen when I was a kid. This shocked me, but I saw it happen to both Jack Kirby and John Buscema, where mm-hmm. people were sort of like, "Eh, that's old hat. I've seen that," you know. And I think yeah. even the publishers had that vibe about John. They're like, John can construct a page and draw a figure like nobody who's ever lived. But his rendering style is kind of like sagging. So let's bring in these guys that can jazz him up, like Alfredo or Ernie or, or you know, or Rudy. Like any of these guys that can just like sort of slather on this new texture that kind of jazz him up. And it worked. Mm. Like that stuff is really fun to look at. I don't like, especially Tony runs him over a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but. It's, I think it, and I don't think John cared. I think John was like, I just wanted to get it. You know, he, he preferred to ink his own work 
But yeah. um, I think that was the strategy behind Conan at the time was to like find people that could re re-energize John's rendering style. Even mm. though there was, no, in my That's mind, there was nothing my, my wrong ass- with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my assumption was that it was more like uh like practical like they just needed people that would get it done faster oh that too and the yeah. filipino artists were like they were on it you know yeah that too and like i think joe kubert saw that when he like basically made nestor redondo his drawing hand for almost a decade oh interesting you know because yeah. like joe uh, like i'm a huge ragman mark like this like that's my favorite one of my favorite comics from when i was a kid and those are all like kubert redondo jams so like kubert would lay out mm. the whole book and Redondo and his studio would come in and finish it like, <laughs> like probably over a week, you know, and it would yeah. be gorgeous. And it would have that like superb Kubert storytelling combined with that really kind of um, lush Redondo drawing. And so it made for a really satisfying comic. But was, what's weird about that is like sometimes Frank would, I'm Frank, sometimes Joe Kubert would come back on top of that and like re-ink stuff or, or change mm. a panel to make it like, you know, stick with his vision and the rendering would just be completely different for like one panel. You know, it would, <laughs> it would be like Joe Kubert's, you know, like super immediate drawing style right next yeah. to like uh, a Nestor Redondo, really lush kind of florid panel right beside it. So, but I, when I was a kid, I didn't care. I just knew like, I give my kid self credit again. I was kid self me was pretty great. <laughs> he, I thought you said he was pretty. I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I guess I know. I know he was prom queen, so I'm mean, a prom, prom king. So I, I I'll, I'll take your word. But. Right. No, but I, like I was, I could recognize good storytelling even when I was like an idiot kid. Like, yeah, Frank Miller clicked with me right away, and Joe Kubert clicked with me right away because, and Kirby did too because the stories made sense visually. It's instinctive, right? Yeah, like they're and like yeah. that's almost. I don't want to say it's unteachable, but it might be unteachable. That idea of like, you know, like what pictures need to be here to make the story make sense. And right. the, that clicked with me even like at a super young age. It was something that I had, I did have to learn because at first, and I'm still, I feel, I'm still learning. Like, don't, you know, mm-hmm. it's, but when I, when I got into comics, I didn't know that, that I, you know, when I wanted to, I didn't want to draw comics for the longest time. I didn't think I had the skills to do it because I read them and I'm like, I see what they're doing. I know how I draw. There's no... <laughs> <laughs> there's no intersection yeah, there. Where, I'm not good enough. How will I get these to me? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to stress about trying to draw comics. So I just drew for fun, right? right? I'm going to community college. I think I'm going to be an art teacher and then I at some point start drawing comics just out of like friends are doing it, so now I'm going to do it, right? Yeah. And then at that point I'm in the deep end because I I hit the spot where like I'm pretty good like at drawing. But I'm terrible at storytelling. I had done a little bit of it, and I thought I knew because I thought I read the guys you talk yeah. about, Frank Miller. I thought I read the guys who were great at it, and I read Eisner Miller, and I read the people who say say are good storytellers. But then when I'm actually doing it, I'm like a little confused, and I uh, I had to like sort of backtrack it. So I just yeah. toned everything down. I just went grid, and I said, "All right, I'll, I'm not going to allow myself to do any of the fancy shit until i know the basics yeah that's a good and idea. it wasn't until a couple of years ago that i started breaking panel borders and you know doing Dare, you know the tricks yeah you know i wasn't going to allow myself to solo until i could play rhythm guitar you know <laughs> yeah I mean? like that that was my mentality so like i think a lot of young artists um go through that period where they're sort of like there's this t- like terror terrible there's like this perilous terrain in your journey 
between being a really talented amateur and then a terrible pro. Like those are the same, like that's one footstep apart. Do you know what I mean? So like if you're (laughs) you're progressing, you reach a point where you're like, you're a really super talented amateur and you're going to get praise and like um, admiration even in your portfolio reviews. And then when you take Mm -hmm. one more step out of that to like being a pro, you're suddenly the worst pro, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because the standards are changed. The standards change on you. And that's a tough footstep to live through. And a lot of people don't like a lot of people, you make that footstep and then they fall. Like they go tumbling into space and (laughs) you've got to keep marching through that period. And you did, which is awesome. But like a lot of people aren't prepared to make that jump. It's like moving up in sports. Like, you're the greatest like player on your high school team. It means you're an right. average at best college player, which means you're a terrible pro. You know what I mean? Mm. And yeah, uh, totally. The standards keep changing all all through your career. When I first met you, um, at, I want to say it was like Seattle, maybe like Emerald City. Yeah. Um, I I was really psyched, and it was after my. F- first marvel book had come out and it was the thing that i was doing to a lot of people where i was going up and asking basically for like any kind of advice for storytelling specifically uh-huh. when i had a marvel book out and there was a lot of pros <laughs> who didn't want to hear that shit yeah, yeah. oh yeah they were like i want a <laughs> marvel like, book yeah well you know there were just people that were like you're published what the fuck do you need my yeah, go away fuck now. It? like are you fishing for compliments and i'm like you know desperately like no no no, no, no. i'm still trying <laughs> yeah. i feel like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> No, it's cool that you have that attitude because a lot of people uh, hit that threshold. Like I'm working for Marvel and DC and they're done. They're done. Not only are they done listening to people, they're done growing aesthetically, which is right. If you're like, if you're as good as Bernie Wrightson and you decide to stop growing when you're 26, fine. But (laughs) (laughs) I could not. 26 is when I met you actually. So, you know, that's a, that's the right, that's the right age. I couldn't stop drawing. I couldn't stop learning at 26 or I'd be out. I'd be working at a lumberyard. Going back a little bit. um, One of the things that I was thinking about when we were talking about uh, inking over people, like you mentioned Kubert and one of the, uh, I had friends that went to the Kubert school, but at the same time I was, that was when I was like, I'm never going to draw comics. Not even going to think about going to the Kubert. That's in, that was so far outside of my realm of of comprehension. Yeah, I was going to the community college and next, you know. Yeah. Um, but I went to a WonderCon that he was uh that he had a a panel at, and it was him and Adam Kubert. And yeah, cool. He was saying how he loved or that the Kubert sons they would love when, um, Joe would ink over them because they looked really good but they would have to pencil extra hard because otherwise he's going to completely run over. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it, and his mentality was, if I'm inking it, that's mine. It's oh, no yeah. longer yours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, his, his, and so, oh, sorry, no, you keep going with your story. I, I like it. Oh, so, so I was going to say like about a year or so ago, I saw a drawing that you did of all these green arrows from like different time periods uh-huh. and I printed out with blue lines and I inked it and I had a lot of fun drawing over your pencils which they feel very realized, but not tight in that way right. where like you're like, you're sort of boxed into this. Um, so like it's open to a lot of interpretation, which again was fun for me. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm just having fun with yeah. it. Um, 
I think that when, but I think because of your close relationship with like Parks and uh, and you know the other inkers that yeah. you've had, it they they do pencil it pretty like true to the the pencils. But I, what I'm wondering is when you do it, are you internal? Like, do you think this is how it's supposed to look, or is this like just more old school like Kirby, where it's just like this is it, and if you're Alcala, do destroy your duck. But if you're these other guys, you do your other things. Yeah. No, I kind of feel like it's it. Like, I feel like, um, I mean, there's, I, I don't know if it's what it is about me, but I, I draw fast. And what I mean by that is I don't, I don't mean like I'm lightning fast. I mean, like when my pencil is on the paper, it's moving quickly. Mm. Um, like it's slashing. It's not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not like making little inchworm marks and making like kind of slashing marks because I'm trying to pick up the rhythms and the figures and in the forms and in the composition and mm-hmm. from all my life drawing training in college, the way to do that is to actually get in a, in a rhythm and you have to kind of have to move quickly to stay in it. And mm. so what I'm looking for in an inker is somebody that recognizes those rhythms, not necessarily even the marks I laid down. And, right. you know, like sometimes I'll like take a break and I'll fill a black with a couple of quick lines. And those look, those look like intentional marks that like I want an anchor to replicate and they're not necessarily like when I lay a black down, I want mm. a solid black and, um, it takes a, I'm like, kind of, you wouldn't think my style is fairly simple. So you wouldn't think it, think so, but I'm kind of hard to ink. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Because I think there, uh, I think that people fall for what looks like, uh, it's hard to. <laughs> I have two go. I have a goal in mind when I'm drawing, but also in an ink. So you do have like the idea ahead of time. It's just not necessarily what you're putting like down. Well, I kind of let the drawing figure out what's going on, but that's not sure. what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is my mark making doesn't necessarily reflect the goal I want from the final drawing. Um, right. That, yeah. So, but when an inker sees my stuff, the mark making looks really fun. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying when I, yeah. Over so they try to rep. Like, cool. So they try to replicate that a lot of times when it's not necessarily what I wanted to happen there. And, bo- I and both Andy and Eric are old school enough that they know. Um, when I fill a line, like I might fill a very narrow black space with a couple of quick hatch marks. That doesn't mean I want the anchor to drop hash marks in there. That means I want a, I, I want a solid, quick-looking black there, and it's hard for like um, I got inked by Klaus Jansen earlier this year, which is like a dream come true. But like even Klaus mm. kind of got seduced by that stuff sometimes, you know. And he was like, "Oh, that you almost had to pull a Dark Knight Returns." <laughs> no, on mm. no, that's never happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that I'm thinking that one of your students did this. You didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, that did not happen. I know. I'm just playing, <laughs> uh, but uh, I would never do that. Like I was like. Klaus can draw better than me anyway, but, um, (laughs) he would like, there would be things on the page that looked and Klaus is very old school like me. So like we were sending pages back and forth. So like there would be things on the page, on the page that to him looked like fun and like places to play that weren't necessarily, I mean, the end result was like blew my mind. It was fantastic. I loved it. It's like when I, I, I was in Pricinkevich for a few pages and like he did the same thing. He's like, here's where I'm going to play. And I'm like, well, yeah, we'll be, when you're being by 
Bill Sienkiewicz, you know you're going to get, like, completely run over in a good way. Yeah. So, like, you – so play away, you know, have fun. But, like, <laughs> um, it, it's cool to see that, like, when I'm working with somebody I've been working with for a very long time, they know the, what I'm looking for and they can te- they can get it out of my work when even, like, really accomplished inkers don't necessarily see it. It's like uh, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Exactly. They've been playing basketball for 10 years. They know where they're going to be on the court before they get exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, speaking of Andy. Wait, um, before, you know, we I met him to, in Memphis. before we go to oh, Andy. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You, like, did you have more to say about Tony's bar? Because that's like a great – that's that's like Tony's better – Tony Jasinaga. That's better than, that's better than oh. going to the Kubert School to being able to hang out with uh, Tony. He used to look at my art like he he used to tell me I was ready way before I was. Yeah. He wanted me to ink him when he did Jonah Hex when he came back to DC. Wow. Not the first time, yeah, yeah. but like when job. he was doing yeah. a, a graphic novel, yeah. He wanted me to ink him and I said, "Dude, I can't do that." <laughs> yeah. You should have done it just to uh, like learn. It would have been wild. You you're right, but I th- I didn't want to fuck it up because I thought he was so great. I'm like, "You should get a real inker to do that, you know?" Like, I didn't want to be the reason why it looked like shit. If it was going to look like shit, I didn't want to have anything to do with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, like, dude, that was when I was very, very not ready. I was trying a lot of stuff, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. You were probably, but he used to, you were too, you were too young to do it well, but you were probably too old to, to like, not care. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. if you were like 21, yeah, that, like when I was 21. Yeah, it was my, yeah, it was my real early 20s. Yeah, like, and, uh. Oh, when I was asked to do anything, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, sure. Let me add it. <laughs> like, I didn't care that I was yeah, he, bad. But he did, like, little – he taught me little tricks that I do think, like, it's what made me – it's what makes me a little old school, which is, like, you know, like, little things about, like, how to make a character look like they have weight. Like, yeah. that was just, you know – like, he would he would draw a straight line through a character, and he's like, see how it doesn't look like they could – like, they would have any balance here? He was like, you know, the the Marvel way is they have to like, it has to feel balanced on both sides, and you know, he would, it, he would draw on the back of pages that I had, uh, the same thing that I had drawn but better, yeah, and faster. That's cool. And so it was like just it was very it was very uh, informative, but you know, he would be real complimentary. You know, he'd say, "Oh, this is so good, this is so good." Yeah. But but do this <laughs> and like fix it. No, that's know? that's the exact kind of probably the exact kind of instruction that you needed yeah yeah totally and you know like i said at the time i was i was just doing it sort of as a hobby but like i was deep into the hobby because i now knew a guy who was doing it and i had other friends that that were doing it too like you know locally that were like comic book artists that you know Uh still are like really great inkers my friend uh, mike dimayuga he had passed away but he was doing like some image stuff so you know i had i began making inroads with people who did it yeah but he was he was the big one he was the guy at the center of it and uh yeah yeah his wife would uh his wife had tina owned like a a restaurant and they would get lumpias at the end of the at the thing that's cool they were they're filipino yeah so we would we would all hang out it was it was cool um he moved down south to teach and then he he had passed away so you know but i would see him at cons you know randomly yeah um, but yeah, he was, he was the best. That's he awesome. Was, uh, That's an awesome gift to have in your career and your life. I, I feel, I feel so lucky. And you know, the thing was too, is I would go to his store and they had original art up and that's also something I had never seen before, you uh-huh. know? 
Oh, that yeah, changed. So I go look at it. I'm like, this is Todd McFarlane. But <laughs> yeah, that, that'll <laughs> change. It don't look like Todd McFarlane. Uh, yeah, that'll change your perspective real quick. And I remember like the very first piece of original art I saw was like, God, I don't know how old I was, but it was like, a, um, you know, that Michael Golden drawing from the X-Men Companion of all the X-Men standing on like a Sentinel that they had just destroyed. Anyway, a lot of people hmm. know it. And okay. it was like the first time I'd ever seen original art. I was like, oh, this is so much cooler than even the comic. Like to me, right. because the like, don't get me wrong. I like color, but I came up during the black and white era. So like to me, if a drawing doesn't work without color, it doesn't work. And when I saw mm. these, um, when I saw these originals, I was like, oh, like I can see it without the color and I can see all these lines and what they're supposed to do. And it really, it really enthralled me, but I'm leading you off track. You wanted to talk about Andy. Oh, I was just wondering. Yeah. I met him in Memphis and he was an interesting guy. He was like real funny. Yeah. Um, he's great. He, he, I remember he had like that hat on, you know, like yes. his, uh, he, his famous hat yes. it's sort of like a i don't know he like, has like, like a fedora hats. kind of thing yeah yeah but you know just I'm, for the listeners who don't know andy he's got like a fedora thing so he was wearing that but then he was wearing like a like a crew neck sweater turned inside <laughs> right. out and that's his like, new the fuck is that's his new he used to like wear a sport coat with his hat and he used to he sometimes <laughs> does but then every once in a while we'll get together for something and he's got his like fancy like 200 dollar hat on and like a $6 Hawaiian Walmart shirt and some like shorts (laughs) that he painted in, you know, like, what are you doing? He was a cool ass dude. And we hung out and he would tell me stories about how, when he used to get stuff to ink and like, he would open the box and would smell like cigars or whatever, you know, like he, and, uh, he, he actually looked at my art and he was like, are you going to ink this? I'm like, dude, that is ink. (laughs) Yeah. Cause cause, well, like he's from this like time when inkers used to like, make a stamp on everything they inked and like totally so like he's came up like loving like dick giordano or tom palmer um guys that like really uh, and also pencilers weren't as tight then so like they had to leave their stamp on things and um well he he was sort of fascinated because i'm not tight at all when i ink mm -hmm. i mean when i pencil yeah and then I, that's all done in the inking because I figure, why am I going to draw this shit twice? Yeah, I have to draw it. I'm already slow I enough. have to draw it like 10 times to make it work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you had any like good stories, like working with him, like any crazy deadline or anything. like. Uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, we like there are too many to mention. I think probably our best one was... What's a favorite? When we were doing... Um, when we were doing Green Arrow and it had finally... See, we worked on Green Arrow for a long time before it came out. Because our right. editor, Bob Shrek, was like, this book is not going to be late. Like, because even though Kevin was just starting out, like his stuff had a rep for being late. Comic stuff had a rep for being late. He goes, this book is not going to be late. So we're going to have like eight issues in the can before number one comes out. And it worked. But like, so like when number one came out, and it was like a big hit. We were like invited to a lot of cons and stuff. And we were working on number eight Mm -hmm. and we were like, we have to, like, we can't fall behind. We have to make this deadline. So Andy and I were like, we do the con in the, in the daytime. And then at night, instead of going out, we go back up to my hotel room and, um, work on the book. And 
we really needed to get like a, I don't know how many pages inked in one weekend. But so we had a bunch of people come up into our room, like, and just help us ink like a ton of people, <laughs> like people that weren't inkers. Uh, That's awesome. And as we were, you're like, you're spotting blacks. Here you go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. There was like, I think we had like yeah. one of DC's like, um, con wranglers come up and help us, you know, like the, <laughs> one of the booth managers and, and we had all our friends come up and we were just like, people were inking on the bed, people were inking in the bathroom and there was so much, so much going on that Andy spilled like an entire bottle of India ink on the hotel. Oh shit. Like on a hotel bedspread and carpet and like, <laughs> it's like hundreds of dollars in damage <laughs> And we're like, we are fucked. Because, like, we weren't used to, like, being popular yet. <laughs> like, yeah. at all. And we're like, I can't pay. I can't afford to pay for this. And, like, you know, like, it's my room, not Andy's <laughs> room, by the way. And I'm like, we're screwed. And so I remember uh, calling Patty Jarris, who was, like, the talent manager at the time at DC. And, like, confessing ahead of time that we had done it. And it's like, yeah, we ruined our <laughs> hotel room. But we were doing it to make sure... Green Arrow stayed on time. And she's like, you boys don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And and they it, did. It was a Motley Crue situation. Yes, it was, except for we weren't like, we were doing <laughs> like rails of coke just... off a of hooker. We were like trying to finish our our job like good boys. And, uh, and we did, but we did trash a hotel room inadvertently. That's funny. That was like literally, I did, again, with the episode I did last week on Dragata, um, it was literally the same thing. Like I had before border town came out, I went, I, I was like, fuck, they, there's no way I was going to finish the issue that I had to do. And me, him and a uh, Justin Greenwood, we all went to Nick's house and like banged out the issue in like a day and yeah. a half. That's so fun. And it was like, that's my favorite memory of comics. This is like oh. real ca- adventures of Cavalier and clay. Yes. Like, ever, you, did you ever read oh, that? Yes. And I read yeah. the source for that, which was Stranko's history of comics. He has this, oh, okay. he has this, chapter about the the early human torch um submariner battles that were at, like they were like the like the comics first crossover and they were huge yeah and like they would bank like carl burgos and bill everett and mickey spillane would get together in like a hotel room and bang out a whole comic like over a long weekend and to me that yeah. sounded so romantic like that sounded so yeah. cool and like when i got to like into my late twenties, early thirties, I was so like, I'm like, I don't know when this ride is going to end. I, I can't say no to any job. So I said yes to every job that came down the pike. And right. that led to like getting overbooked a lot. And I wound up doing these things that I would call non cons, which were <laughs> just like, we're going to get together. Like we're going to go to a con, but we're not. We're going to, Oh my God. That's so we're gonna, That's the dream yeah. that I have now of like doing that with friends. We're going to stay at this hotel. I'm going to get a, like a suite at a hotel, like a two room suite. You can come and go, you can stay whatever and I'll pay you, but we're going to ink this comic over three days or, you know, like I need, I need to get, I had one month in, in my early thirties where I had to do like 70 pages in one month. And like I had a non-con and my friends came over and helped me out. And like you could do whatever you were good at. So like if some guys were like great at penciling, they would pencil backgrounds. If some guys could ink, they'd ink everything, you know. And I was like the Joe Kubert of the, 
you know, the master of the menage, I would be like, <laughs> all right, let me draw that face because it has to look like me, you know, or I'll yeah. lay out all these things. So it's my storytelling. But like you can draw these trees. You know what I mean? Yeah. My breakdown was I drew the, I penciled most things loose, but then they would tighten up the background perspective right. and everything. I would ink the figures. And then Dragata would ink the backgrounds yeah. and Justin would be like cleaning up and then also inking. It was just like that. It was, and it was so fun. Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah. It's like, listen, if you're a pro, if you're listening to this and you've never done this, it is the funnest thing. It is. If you're a fan listening to this, it's just like imagine you're in like a cool band and you're making a fucking, yeah. you know, like it feels like that. But it's usually aided, it's usually motivated by like. In intense stress yes. of <laughs> like you can't, so, you can't really enjoy it like you should but like yeah. the way we in the moment it feels like yeah. shit but afterwards you're gonna feel great oh and the hotel room smells so bad <laughs> uh but at the end we'd all i'd take everybody out for like a big steak dinner and that felt like the win you know like we'd go to that steak yeah. dinner and then i would take the pages to fedex at the airport you know and it was yeah we uh we we got, we got burritos yeah that was, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not rich <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but that was like the like guys I'll buy you burritos we're, we're but guys. I felt like that was like I'm I'm like those people Jim Stranko is talking about you know like yeah. I'm the, I'm like Mickey Splain in a bathtub with a typewriter you know it's so funny that that's your story because that was literally the story I told Nick of like my favorite memory in comics is yeah. this and you know yeah it, it, there's nothing there really isn't anything like it it's like a weird collaborative like you know meshing yeah. of things you and know? it's fun that, it's like, just fun because like it's fun that, it's fun to hang yeah I'm sure there were jokes that you can't oh, tell yeah. that were like I came in once and <laughs> two like old school Midwest cartoonists people know these people um, Mike Worley and Fred Gorham and. Like I would, they would stay in the hotel room and I would go home because I didn't live that far away. I'd go home to my wife and kids and then I'd yeah. come back and like one time I came in and I opened the door and they're drawing, but they're both in their underwear. I was like, for <laughs> God's sake, put some, put some pants on. <laughs> um, one thing that I heard you say on a podcast um, recently was uh, you said that you were on the look quote. The lower percentile of draftsmanship I think of so. working comic yes. artists. No. Outrage. That's insane that you would say that. You can't really believe that. I do. Like, well, and partially because I don't think draftsmanship is all that important to making comics. Um, yeah, okay. So you're saying it's all bad. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, like, high-fidelity drawing isn't necessarily necessary to make good comics. Like okay, so wait a minute. So yeah, okay. So I guess maybe I'm misinterpreting what your idea of draftsmanship yeah, is. Yeah, like so, like um, I'm trying to think of like a. You're saying like the like just like the ability to draw something that looks like a thing. Yeah, you don't have to draw like, like Mark, Mark Schultz to make a compelling comic book. God, okay. You know what I so mean? Well, so maybe maybe I just have it completely fucked up. No, I just I, maybe I, I, I didn't make my point accurately. What I'm saying is you like <laughs> you don't have to be a great player to be a great musician do you know what i mean right yeah so there's some people that get over on being high fidelity and there's some people that get over on having like great storytelling sensibilities and then then there are the mm. people that can do both that are like the titans right and yeah i don't and so a part of like figuring out your comics career is figuring out what you can do and right. pretty early on i figured out oh i I thought I was going to draw like Steve Rude, but I can't like, <laughs> like I practice and practice, but I don't draw like Steve Rude. It's like, I can go to the court every day, 
I'm five seven. I'm never dunking, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to be Adam Hughes. Um, <laughs> so I I can take what tools I've got and like play to my strengths. And that was always like I said, even when I was a kid, my storytelling sensibility was, I think, pretty high. And my sense of composition was always like um, kind of daring. And so like I will I will stick mm. to those things and like like become a Viking there, you know, <laughs> like that's where I'm going right. to that's yeah. where I'm going to slay. And see, my interpretation of what like draftsmanship is usually like the the beginning part of it, like the oh. like, like the draft. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? So I could be just completely wrong. Like you're say, like you're. Th- you're saying like the finishes of it, like the way that you draw yeah. a thing. But my interpretation was like the the groundwork, which is oh. what I think you're the best at. That's why, to me, that was so like. No, I, I appreciate that, and I. And you're like you. You're like no, no, no. I'm in the upper percentile. I, of that. I, I might <laughs> even agree with you, but like. <laughs> Let's go when, when it comes. <laughs> Finally, break off that fucking midwestern humility. Let's go but when it comes to like actual drawing skill. There's like. Um, so many people that can draw better than I can. And I don't, I used to get hung up on that and I don't anymore because I know mm-hmm. like it's taken me like 30 years, but like, I know what I can do. Um, and yeah, you, I feel, I feel the same way. Like I, there's things, I there's real limitations to what I do, but what I know how to do, I'm getting right. better at it all the time. You know, and that's good. That's And like some of that's like a personal journey. Like you just need to learn to accept that about yourself and, in general, like in, in life. Yeah. And that only right, comes right. really only comes from like maturing. Yeah. There, um, there's a, I remember in a, the Beatles, like th- there was a, a, a song, I, th- I think it's in the end or I, I'm going to feel like shit. Cause I can't remember which right. song it is, but there's a song where all three of the Beatles solo and there's like three distinct, distinct different kinds. You know, Paul McCartney is very like, technically accurate or whatever mm-hmm. like it sounds nice and pretty and george harrison is like i think it's got more energy right. you know but he's been doing it forever and there's john lennon who said like yeah i don't know how to play guitar the best but when i do it it's, it's gonna sound fucking it's honest cool. yeah because yeah it's yeah me. and that's always how i felt like i like neil young you know yeah. so i like it to feel a little like a little rough around the edges yeah like you're seeing maybe the like the second draft not the f- like not, not the 15th draft of a Neil Young song. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to the band a lot. You ever yeah. listen to them? I'm old. I'm yeah, old. I mean, right. Like I, <laughs> I know you're old, but you know, they, listen, some people gloss over it, you know, yeah. like you, you're also from like the eighties, right? Yeah. I grew up. I mean, I was a teenager. So I don't know what 70s stuff you listen to. I was a to. teenager in the eighties, but I was like sentient being in the seventies. So like you had to hear, <laughs> like you heard all that stuff on the radio. Yeah. And my dad had a yeah, my I, dad I had I a love... decent record collection too, so like I would I oh, would nice. hear stuff um like oh I have his Led, Ze- Ze- Led Zeppelin records in my in my collection now. But like oh, nice. I would hear a lot of stuff you know that was contemporary like when you were little, you know. Yeah, I I've, I've been getting into like the 70s like Jackson Brown uh I I've always loved the Flying Burrito Brothers like sort of country rock like the birds like later right. you know mid mid period stuff. And uh, I feel like there's be- coming from the San Joaquin County. I feel like that's like just really embedded into me. It just feels real because I'm, you know, yeah, even though I it's understand. much different, I feel like one th- reason I've always related to you, you know, we don't know each other super well, 
but just like in passing was you being from Iowa, uh-huh. very rural place. Right. I remember one time on Twitter, I was talking about like a lunchbox social and people thought I was insane. <laughs> you were the only one who knew what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, yeah, of course Phil gets it. You know, we're both from the same type of thing. Did you do FFA or uh, 4-H no. when you were younger? I was like the only person who didn't. Like, I, okay. I was a town kid. I mean, mm. town is a thousand people. <laughs> but, like, I was a town kid, so I wasn't an FFA guy. But oh, okay. in my school, we're like an FFA jacket. You lived on a farm, though, right? When you were oh, when younger? I was really little, yeah. But, yeah, like, okay. in my high school, like, an FFA jacket was like a letter jacket. That's what I wanted. You know. I was I was trying to get there. Yeah. I did it because I got so mad that I was doing all the work. Like, we had a swine club, which was uh, the school owns the pigs. So, right. like, people who couldn't afford their own pig uh, couldn't afford a place to put the pig. You could still go raise them. You just don't make any money off of it. Right. You don't sell so it. So, we had a team, like a football club kind of thing. That's cool. We were terrible. We were the... <laughs> We were the you, mighty ducks, your pig so. didn't die or anything. <laughs> Bad news bears. No, but we finished last on everything. <laughs> what was it was it was eye opening. We go to our first uh like I'm thinking these pigs look pretty good, you know? I'm happy with them. Yeah. We 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 did the training where like you 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 show them, you know? We, yeah. we figured it out. We go to our first fair and I get there and we're the only ones in FFA uniform with like black oh, really? black pants, white shirts tucked in. Everyone else is like wearing like polos with like fucking oh, no. embroidered, you know, and they all got their like, you know, Oakley sunglasses on. Their pigs are jacked as fuck. They they're never, like, they never touch those pigs. They're steroid pigs, though. They made our that pigs look their, like shit. They, their people did that. Dude, they <laughs> cooked us. We were. <laughs> hey. We, it was humiliating. It was a, such a devastating defeat that one of the girls, she ran away. Wow. To like. We had to go find her because she was she she was like the leader of the crew. It was such a humiliating defeat that she ran away and we had to like wait. We had to put the pigs away. Then we had to wait for somebody to find her. It was a fun experience. Though. I always. Yeah, it was. But, you know, I feel like that builds a certain amount of character just being oh, yeah. from places where people are working in the ground. You know, I yeah. feel like you have a different appreciation for where you're from, even, you know, which is, you know, I don't know if. You know, I know you've. Uh, yeah, no, I. I you're married that. to your high school sweetheart, prom king and queen. <laughs> yeah. You never left. You you wanted to oh, stay I did, in Iowa. I did leave, but we. I mean, we. Okay. Left our hometown, but came back to raise our kids here. Um, left to where? Uh, to go to college, and then like. Okay. I guess like we had this idea that you like you have to move away from home for a little while, and so like yeah. at the beginning of my comics career, I, I lived closer to Des Moines for a while. And then mm. when oh the big city yes <laughs> well it's like <laughs> half a million people come on no I know but it's just funny to think about yeah it. yeah but around here it is the big city so like um uh but then we came back here when our kids were born and just to be around grandma and grandpa and stuff and um but yeah I think I feel like I've seen enough of the world just going to cons you know to get oh, yeah, a taste of everything else like you know and it's it's sort of like what I want the, like the, the amount of big city that I want, like, <laughs> like 12 weekends a year. That sounds about right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I stopped doing cons since COVID. I just don't want to go anywhere. It's it weird. Like I took, it took a long time for me to go anywhere before, before, like before I started doing cons, it, you couldn't get me to leave this Northern California area. Oh, wow. Then I did. I was everywhere. Yeah. And then I came back and I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere right now. I don't 
Like, I don't know yeah. when I will, but I'm sure at some point I will, but I just don't feel like it. You know? It's it's weird. Um, and like some cons are really cool about it um, and have good protocols in place. And, and then some cons are just like catch as catch can. Like mm. some people were, but like you have to understand that like where I live, like people have given up on mitigation all like almost altogether. Like the only place you pe- yeah. see people wearing masks are like maybe at the grocery store and yeah. at hospitals. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, same, it's kind of the same here. Like yeah. it used to be, it, it's starting to fade, but like I'll wear masks still. Cause I just like, I don't want the government to know my face if I can avoid it anyways. <laughs> yes. but You're like Mr. I'm Robot. Sort of, the older I get, the more of a crackpot conspiracy yes. guy I am too. <laughs> Where's this going? You're, you're a UFO guy, right? <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, I don't know how much I believe in any of that stuff, but I love. That's crazy. I they, love the lore. Yeah. You know, all that, like, yeah, yeah. Um, all that, like, I was like, if, if comics went belly up, I'd start going to those conventions instead. Just because I like, <laughs> I love conventions. And you know what's wild? I have this, I have this buddy named Dylan and he like, he's become like the artist at like these crypto cons. Like mm. he draws like. Like whatever local cryptid is 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 like the con is based around, and he just goes and he puts in like an artist alley table there and he kills. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I yeah. The older I get, the more I get into more like not like a in an anti-Semitic way. But yeah, sort of those like global cabal elites are in control <laughs> of everything. But th- it's a it's a fine line when you're looking up that stuff. Oh going, yeah, oh, you mean. Jewish people, that's fucked up. I'm yeah. leaving this side. A lot of times your fellow travelers in uh, in those worlds are <laughs> like assholes. But Insane. Uh, I remember, I got, who was ta- oh, I was talking to Josh Fialkov, the writer Josh. I, I don't know if you know Josh. but like, I don't know him, but I know of him. Um, and I was like, when Obama got elected, I was like, man, Mike, the conspiracy theories, theories suck now. They're so racist. And he's like, oh, they <laughs> suck now. I see. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess they always sucked. I guess I didn't know. Like from a Jewish perspective, these always suck hard. I got so into uh, the JFK conspiracy. And I want to. I, I want to do an episode about it at some point. Um, but they, I got so into it that like, I'll every time I find some little like thing I, or anything <laughs> from like the sixties, I'm like, where was that person at? What was their deal? <laughs> what was you know, who you should have on about that. You should talk to Mark Evanier about that. Oh, because I mean, listen, Evan here, I feel like I could talk about anything. Yeah, but he was like, he was like you. He was like a big, huge, like conspiracy, JFK conspiracy guy. And then he like, he came to the conclusion that, it, no, it was Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> like, oh my God, that's insane. He's then like, I do have to talk to him. That's, he's in, like, that's impossible. He's like, I looked at this for 30 years and like, yeah, it's just a guy. I need to find a way to get in touch with him because that's crazy. Cause but it's terrifying to – here's the even more ter- – like the idea of a big conspiracy to kill the president's terrifying. But the, It wasn't that big though, but, but go on. But the thing that's even more terrifying is that one guy would do it and could. Like that's – but I'm not See, really – before we get too sorry. far down your rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> like I'm not really into conspiracies as much as I'm into just like the – like kind of the more the ghost story around the campfire aspect of okay like UFOs and Bigfoot and all that stuff. I just it, yeah, and, and it comes from working a little bit. So I don't like when there's new when there's new UFO stuff. I'm like I don't want to know about it <laughs> unless they're <laughs> unless they're here. I don't want to know about it. That's fucked up. But like it comes from working late at night and like 
Yeah. Like when I was working late night, it was before podcasts and stuff. And all there was at night was like Art Bell. So you had to like yeah. listen to these nuts get on the air and like talk about all this stuff. And it was like, you know, 99.9% BS. But then like every once in a while, there's something that would just like freak you out or make your blood run cold. And the, and those thrills are, those thrills are rare, precious and awesome. I, so I listened to basketball on the radio or I used yeah, to, I, you know, now yeah. I watch it more, but I, so it was on the same frequency as Art Bell. Oh, and like, so I'd be listening to fucking, you know, Steph Curry takes a three. The global lights are like Alex Jones <laughs> in my ear. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. let me drive a little bit to the left. This is stupid, man. I'm trying to hear about if that shot went in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sports, uh, like, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, I know you're a Hawkeyes fan for college football. Yeah, I went to school there. My football, kids went but, to school there. Yeah. Oh, it's all, it's, that's all in the family. That's yeah. all my modern. That's, yeah. Okay, that's what's up. I like the uh, I like the Golden Bears. The I like Cal, despite uh, the fact that I'd never been there. I had a friend who went, but that's it. Right. I just like the general. That's enough. You know, yeah. I like the general hippiness of it. It's like Northern California, you know. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I, I know that you talk about football because I've seen you sort of like talk about it. Yes. But I don't know what your team is. Do you have? It's interest, really like, tough because Iowa? like I didn't get like yeah when you're from iowa you're sort of in a no man's land so like you you might be bears packers chiefs or vikings here or even like if you're from western Iowa, you might even be a bronco person and so like there's no like consensus here so everyone like Mm. puts all their energies into either the hawkeyes or cyclones iowa or iowa state and so like i would say i'm in general an afc fan like I just seem to like be drawn, <laughs> just <to laughs> like broadly the N- the AFC. You know, I'm just more drawn to like you know Chiefs, Chargers, like not oh, disgusting. <laughs> I understand, but what I should be right now is a Niners fan because it has my ho- my guy Brock. Yeah, the Brock slide. Brock, he's Hard. a Cyclone, and then uh, yep. Kittle's a Hawkeye. So I, like, yeah, they're the Iowa guys. They are. It's a. Uh... I so I grew up a Niners fan, but it was after the after the the gold rush, you know. No yeah, one yeah. Say. And uh, I just I just miss Montana. Like there's there's pictures of me as like a baby with Joe Montana stuff, right? Yeah. But I was Steve Young when I was growing up, right? So I'm jealous that you would have been there if you were watching football during the yes. dynasty, my <laughs> team's dynasty. I missed most of it. I look back, they had like a Joe Montana documentary. It's like, I want to be there. I want to be at Huey Lewis in the news. I want to be. <laughs> I have a Steve Young story if you want to hear it real quick. Oh, yeah. He definitely. got me fired from a job. Um, Whoa, not my guy Steve. <laughs> no, and not. it might not even have been him. It might have been his people. But like <laughs> I, when IDW was just beginning, like just barely starting, and when it was still called IDN Design Works. Um, mm-hmm. They hired me to draw some like f- superhero fied like NFL players. And so it, they had to be sort of like half caricature and like half accurate. But all these guys mm. have likeness approval. Right. And like all of them I was like all of them I was happy with and did well. And then every time you try to draw Steve Young, he's just Superman. Like he just looks like Superman. <laughs> like there's yeah, no other cool. way to draw him. And I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry. He's lo- this is what he looks like. <laughs> and like he didn't like it and he was like, <laughs> like he was like yeah this isn't gonna work out you need to find a new artist so i don't know whoever wound That's up dra- drawing it but like 
Drew Bledsoe was okay with what I drew of him, you know, <laughs> and Emmett Smith was fine, but all not Steve, Steve Young wasn't happy. Wow. The ego. Well, I, like I said, it was probably just his people. Or uh, CTE. <laughs> I won't. Uh, you don't have to go there right now. But, <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan, but one of my parts of being a fan is this man took so many shots yeah. in the fucking head. Yeah. Like he ended his career that way. Like, yeah, it's you tough. know, there's no way around it. That's a big part of his story. It's tough, but I like, love him now though. But his game was like so far ahead of like everyone plays like Steve Young now. Every quarterback, like you yeah, have to be able that's to real run. Pigskin right there. That's hard nosed football. You, you know? run the ball. You get you get fight for every inch. That's how yeah. I feel. But I mean, accurate <laughs> passing, but still run. You know. Yeah. So that's why everybody is now. So so what so your team you just said broadly AFC I know yeah uh, I like I know Andy's, I'm Chiefs uh, I like the Chiefs a lot and that's, Andy's a Chiefs fan yeah. it disgusts me I hate that and I I, I, held, I held such bitter grudges against any team that beat my team in a championship <laughs> you gotta let it go it's, it's, <laughs> no I never will yeah I the know. Ravens can eat shit for the rest of my life <laughs> that that was the worst but like dude I, they're in the middle of a comeback the lights go out yeah that was it's crazy the worst. that that was fishy. But yeah, I, I, in general, I just am a fan of the game and the players. And, um, but yeah, I, I would say probably I follow the chiefs and I, um, and in the NFC, I follow the bears. So yeah. Uh, the likeness thing is funny though. I've, I've only had it a few times. Uh, one of them was Bill and Ted, the IDW people were just like, that doesn't look enough like Keanu Reeves or the other guy. Right. And I drew it. I redrew it like six or seven times like not no joke i yeah. drew these faces over and over and then they were they were like well we like it but can you maybe you just make them the robot versions of bill and ted what? and i was like all right why not i mean it's going to be easier than drawing their fucking faces That's for the, the, the ninth time you know so i did it and then the book comes out and i open it and they are cartoon versions of those characters anyways oh. so i'm like so wait a minute why was I being held to this insane standard? It has to be photorealistic, but I don't do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's like when I um a couple. Well, it sounds like a couple years ago, but it was ten years ago. I was okay. I was asked to draw the Flash TV, the TV Flash book, mm. and I I was like so happy that they're like you don't have to do likenesses. They just have to be like in the spirit of the actor's look. So that's the dream right there. Yeah, and so it was a lot more fun. I was looking at um. Michael Kaluta's uh, The Abyss. Yeah. Um, speaking of like the likenesses and those kind of things, like I feel like he did that. And one of my favorite adaptations is uh, the Gene Colon uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Well, he's because so- he doesn't try at all to do like Steve Martin. But or what's Richard weird Grant is that, like um, he just has fun with it. His his panels look like like movie stills anyway. Like the way they're yeah. the way they're lit and like. Exactly. Yeah, it's but it's not. Yeah, it's I know. Nothing like the. Yeah, and they're it's so cool. It's what's crazy about him is it's like, it's not photoref. It looks like photoref. It's just like his his brain is wired that way. He's really cool. Yeah, you know, as a guy who's pretty young, I'm always amazed when I meet guys like you, like I said, who are like are are with it, but they have that like deep sort of knowledge base of like old shit, you know. Yeah. But you're still like you still know. I'm who's still vibrant. Out. Yeah, well, yeah, that, but also you, you know, young artists and yeah. you like are appreciative of them. You're not like cut off. I feel like there are some old, old pros yes. that are cut off. I don't know what don't, happens you know. to people. I don't know how you could like be, if you're in love with comics, how could you not be in love with what's happening in comics right now? 
I don't get. I yeah, don't it's get an that. interesting time, right? Yeah, it's there's a lot of new stuff coming up. Not all of it's good. You know, some of it looks like absolute shit. I'm gonna be honest, but <laughs> oh, now who's the old man? <laughs> I li- listen. I've never claimed to be anything but an old man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the difference between you. You have an eternal young soul. I'm listening to the band. That's Wine right. Burrito Brothers. That's right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, I. I I I, I also what? cut people some slack because like I remember like the f- I do too but the first um, first con I ever went to um, there was a panel of like about the black and white explosion and I was part of the black and white explosion okay at the time yeah I wanted I wanted to bring that up before we finished but yeah, yeah. and like I, there's this panel and it's basically the staff of the comics journal mm-hmm. and Will Eisner and okay the it wasn't really about the black and white explosion. It was about why the black and white explosion should be destroyed. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, cause like, you know, the comic, That's what the comic journal was on. Yeah. Cause like they, uh, yeah. cause to their mind, the black and white explosion wasn't the books they were doing. It was like silver wolf and eternity. Oh, right, like the, the crap I was doing. As another show would call them outlaw comics. <laughs> yes. I would never, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a real outlaw of comics. It's a different thing. <laughs> right. Go on. Um, but like, it was just like, just them just like constantly hammering, like how bad these comics are. And I'm like, I might have actually been, me. I might've actually <laughs> been 21. Right. And I was like, Oh, I came here to like get my validation, you know? And, and they were just like hammering how bad, uh, all these startup com- comic companies were. And then Eisner like sort of like put his hand up, you know, like stop. I'm ready to speak. Yeah. And he's like, you're too hard on these guys. Like, this is the first generation of cartoonists since the golden age that we have to watch work through all their early kinks and struggles. Like, it's so true. Yeah. And, and like everybody else had to pay dues, like in secret until they're ready, like in the fifties and sixties and seventies mm. and like, or they got like backup gigs or they were somebody's assistant. And he's like, the people we're seeing coming up now in these mid eighties, uh, we're seeing their baby pictures, you know? And, uh, that's the first time it's really happens is the golden age. And like all these people that you're running down now are people you're going to be working with in 10 years. And he was, <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> like he was so totally right. Yeah. And I was just talking to a uh, Gleb Melnikov about something similar, which is like, I, at a certain point, like, you know, all of my entire footprint of how I drew is online because of DeviantArt, because yeah. of forums or whatever. You grew up in you know, public. And I thought about taking it all down because I'm like, why would I, like, I don't want people to misrepresent that how I draw. But then I thought, well, people are going to know how I draw because that's what they're going to see now. Yeah, well. And I would rather have it up just in case there's anybody young like me. Like, I'm thinking, what if I could see what everybody's worst yeah, stuff look like? that's important. How inspiring would that be? That's important, you know? I think. It's a good point because, like, if I could erase, like, portions of my career like i would mm-hmm. go back i like i wouldn't allow anything after before i was 40 to be online Do you know <laughs> <laughs> and like that and that's wrong because like for some people the stuff i did in my 20s and 30s is like their favorite uh era of my work and like to sort of like mm. um invalidate what those people enjoy about your work is like a huge mistake 
So like even if yeah, you're so that's not the oversight stuff, is it? That's a little bit. Oh no, I like that. Like I like that stuff. Yeah, I was in my twenties. Okay. <laughs> no, I like all that. But like, I was because I I know I've I've seen some of those like books. I, like I'll be looking at you know one of these random like Dark Horse or whatever they whatever that those were in. Like if I look through one, I'm like, oh fuck, there's Phil yeah. Hester. But like completely different mentality. You know, you wouldn't know it's you. That's when I thought but I was going to have two. Like I said, I thought I was going to have two parallel mm. career tracks. So I thought I was going to do that stuff. So you're talking about the stuff before that. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm just yeah. talking about like when I'm trying to draw like a normal person, which is largely unsuccessful. Well, I meant the stuff that you said that you wish you could get scrubbed. Yes. It wouldn't be that. <laughs> it would be like, you know, just the stuff that I, I, I wish I could just like pluck out of time and say, that's not good. Um, yeah. But, on, my, on our Discord, one of the people, one time your name came up and somebody had posted like uh, some old stuff that you had done. It looked so, like, again, it was just so like, look at that. Look at young Phil. He's the, you can see it there, but you couldn't. Right. It wasn't you. It wasn't, you know it what wasn't I mean? done yet. I cannot remember what it was, but I remember thinking like, look at that. But I feel like I'm the only stuff I'm quote unquote me on is the stuff that's on my table right now. You know? Yeah. That's true, yeah. So it's very rare when I feel like I look at something that I've done and I'm like, oh, I kind of killed it on that, you know? Yeah, I, it's, I find it's I mostly like I hate it, yeah, and I don't want to see it. It wouldn't like so. I have a book coming out this week, and I I know I'm going to look at it. Um, thanks. It's going to be the first one in a long time, but um, <laughs> I'm going to I know I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to like flip through it and then not look at it for like a couple yes. years. Then I'll open it again and I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, there has to be that. <laughs> For me, it's like six to nine years. There has to be that yeah. like window where I'm just like, oh, it wasn't it's not as bad as I remember. Like there's some right. stuff, but yeah. you can't. Um, I, it took me a longer than it should have to learn that you should not like when you run down your own work like explicitly, like specific gigs, um, like saying you're in the lower percentile. No, that's just me in general. Be. No, but like, no, like I would never say like, oh my god, that Swamp Thing stuff was so bad. I would never say that. Oh, because people love it. Yeah, and I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to like, you know, undercut like their feelings they had about that book because like they enjoyed it. So like, sure. the only thing you should ever like, w never make apologies for work. Just say thank you when somebody really digs it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's totally true. Um. Going, going before we before we wrap up again. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, you you mentioned the the when you broke in, it was during like the black and white sort of yeah. What is it like the Ex revolution? Explosion, or, we called it explosion. Yeah. Sorry, I never know the right. Well, right, I mean, it like could turtles be turtles and yeah, the crow. It was the tur the 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 sort of boulder that the turtle started rolling downhill. Right. It was an interesting time because I felt like you know similar today. It's pretty easy to get into comics. Yeah. But the it's interesting because once you get in, the opportunities are completely different. Yeah. Where before it was like you could work at a, at one of these companies that they there might be some money there, you know. Yeah. I, and that, now you get in because there's so many of these companies that are like strictly there for like IP. Yeah. <laughs> that it's like a it's like a weird dichotomy where it's like it's a similar way where you can break in, be twenty, not know what the fuck you're doing, and now you have a book. But there's that's it, you know. Yeah. There's like I I think you had mentioned like you could not on this show, but you'd mentioned before that you could break in with like a small loan, and it's a valid business plan yeah. to get into comics. And you know you, you could, could make you could put some it on a credit money card. putting out like yeah. a new book, right? Yeah. But now that's not the case. But no. you could still break in. You could still do it. But 
you know what what was it what was it been like for you to see that shift as yeah, like an I, old school pro as like a I think guy who loves comics <laughs> also yeah I think it's an easier time than ever to get your work seen um, but it's a really hard time to get make a living doing that um, right especially at the beginning because like at least with the old business model you still had to like pay a printer and and like get a cut from a distributor and the comic shops and all that stuff so like there had to be real money involved no one was just throwing anything online um which is cool way to see stuff now but like you can't like make a living that way and so yeah the only advantage i think of the time when i broke in was um like the page rates were terrible but they were page (laughs) but they were page rates so Sorry, I thought you said the Patriots. No, the Patriots. Like, oh. They were terrible, though. <laughs> they were terrible. <laughs> Actually, they made it to the Super Bowl and then got the worst humiliation of all time in the Super Bowl. But, um, like, a Patriot of, like, $35 when when you're 19 seems incredible. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, like, uh, I'm, like, I'm going to get a big cigar and walk around like I'm the king of comics, you know? But... <laughs> It's there's still $30. Patriots I know out there. that's I what I mean. <laughs> so like, um, at least it gave you like this toehold in reality that like, all right, this is what it's going to be like. I can like climb up from here, but now you mm-hmm. can put like, uh, there are like brilliant cartoonists that don't make a living, you know? Yeah. And it's terrifying to me, but it, it's, it's hard to find your audience. And then it's even harder to find an audience that'll pay for it. And yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the way people value that. Like, I think the companies have made it content and not, yeah. you know, comics, you know, like they're not making a, th- like you said, like there used to be real print on paper. That's a physical item and they've devalued the worth of that. Like they cost more than ever. Yeah. But the idea that you read it, you look through it and like they, you're trained to like the character, the IP. Yeah. The, that's weird. The to me. thing there. You're not trained to like, you know, be like, oh, this is, you know, Gene Cole and I got to see what else he's done because he's a great, you know, artist or whatever. There's some of that because of like social media and stuff, but the companies are not interested in that, you know? Yeah. And and to be honest, that's like probably not their goal. Um, Their goal, their goal is to make you a fan of the IP. But what right. what I think exactly? But it used to be well. Here's why. Here's why they didn't do that. They didn't promote it. But you know, they didn't put it above all else what they were doing. Yeah. You know? But here's where I think they're missing that. The reason that IP is something is because of the talent right. that worked on it. And yeah, that, yeah, it's totally. It's true. like it's almost like the minute you take your uh, hand off the wheel as a as a corporation, like exciting things can happen, like. Mm-hmm. So, like, the X-Men are, like, a multi-billion dollar franchise. Only because Marvel didn't care, you know? <laughs> Only <laughs> right, because Marvel right. was like, I don't I don't care. Make it a Legion of, Sub- Legion of Superheroes ripoff. Go ahead. Go ahead, <laughs> Len. Go ahead, Dave. Do what you're going to do. And yeah. because they let those guys run wild, their imagination, like, made it into something incredible, you know? And the same thing, like, with Daredevil, like, because they didn't care, they let Frank Miller do what he wanted to do. Yeah. That stuff is like, I mean, they're adapting it now. They're make your little Paul Schrader comic. (laughs) Right. But like, but like the, the big corporate behemoth has turned around 
And they're like, they were like, oh yeah, that's the stuff we want to mine. We want to mine the moments right. we we weren't in control. And like, that's interesting. It's like that's, a lesson I mean, they super, it's, it's an astute point. It's like a lesson yeah. they can't learn because you have to ju- <laughs> right, right. you have to justify your job if you work for a corporation. So like, you can't just say, you know, the best things happen here when we just like pick the right people and let them run wild. And the irony is that, yeah, like you said, it's not like there are not recent examples of things breaking out when they do like accidentally let something slip through. That does yeah. happen. <laughs> but yeah. then they're like, no, 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 no. It's yeah. got to have the rock is black Adam on it. Cause that's what the Warner brothers, you know, like, right. Not, and you know, DC is particularly good about doing new stuff. I think, you know, yeah, not just your book, but like, you know, Daniel Warren Johnson was doing yeah. stuff with them. That was like dead earth is like, you know, the black oh, label yeah. stuff. They're but like, they're, they're a the year before that, good stuff, but. I tried to get Daniel on a gig, and like DC was like, "No, weird." Oh wow, really? And like a year later, he's doing Dead Earth for him. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, it's like nobody. It's like the movie business or the record business. Like nobody wants to be first. Everyone right. wants to be second. And if you want to be second, you're going to stay second. Like, you've got to. <laughs> you've got to like. Um, You've got to take chances, and it's easy for me to say because it's not my money. Yeah. But the amount of money that you would have to invest to make these things happen is not very huge. Like, you right, can see right. that with Substack. Substack came in and, like, splashed the pot with, like, a you know, a few million dollars. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to take – who's the best? We'll take them. Yeah. And it didn't take that much money for them to do it. And that can even work on a – I don't think what a lot of even startup publishers understand is that that could even work on a smaller scale. If you just went to a bunch of like real went through artist alley and picked out some really talented people and said, yeah. what could you do if I give you $10,000? There was like, Oh yeah, well I could give you the next Hellboy if you gave me $10,000, you know, or yeah. whatever. One um, thing I love about bad ideas, they are like, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact financials of their business, but they're like Louis LaRosa. You want to do a dinosaur comic? That's Have what you're going to do. Yeah. That's what you should do. And we're going to pay you good to do it. You know, yeah. Ramon, and- like whatever you want to do next, like they kind of didn't, they didn't give me like a, an open thing, but like, you know, I still have to pitch it, but they're like, yeah. what do you want to do? And so right. I told them and they're like, yeah, it's not, give us a real pitch and then we'll, you know, probably do that. But you know, yeah. there, there that- are, com- th- there are a few, that are, if you're if you're lucky enough you can get in on and stuff you know but it does take like an eye for that kind of stuff and i think the sad thing is a lot of the uh at those companies a lot of the um institutional knowledge is gone like you know there is yeah, no mark Chiarello yeah. at dc anymore well when i came up every editor was a former writer or artist or production mm. person like that was sort of the qualification to do it was that you knew the business and right. I, I don't like want to run down the new generation of editors because I think the new generation of editors are bringing, they're the reason like the aesthetic is broader at Marvel and DC nowadays. Sure. They're the reason Daniel and Trad can work at Marvel and DC now because they're not calcified in any way in their views. Um, sure. And they grew up reading manga and they grew up reading, um, you know, Raina Telegmeyer and, and, things other than Marvel and DC comics. So their idea of what a comic can be is like more expansive. And yeah. to me, that's, that sort of equalizes the scales. Like I'm to me, that's as valuable as knowing like how to put a comic together. Mm. So like 
the new era of editors, to me, are just as valuable as what that sort of institutional knowledge the old era of editors knew. So to mm-hmm. me, that e- that equalizes. Yeah, I just I I do think though, like sometimes I don't I flip through comics and I'm just like, ah, there's no like if I was an editor on this, there there would have been a note here that like this this page layout makes no fucking yes. sense. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> that's going to be that's there. the downside, right? But, but there's also some recency bias going on in that because what you know of the '60s and '70s is the good stuff. Like that's what oh, that's I, that's I know what the survives. bad stuff too, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like so, yeah, go back I got and, you. I go got back you. and read like an Atlas Seaboard comic, and there's a bunch of page layouts that don't make sense in those books either from the seventies. True, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's an overstated thing, um, and I that's like fair. I th- like I say I think the trade off is worth it because like Dick Giordano, the broader scope. <laughs> Dick Giordano is is not hiring. Um, like Trad Moore to draw a comic book, you know what I That's mean? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe Archie Goodwin is, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of the old school. Like as much as I love those old school editors that I came up with, they had an idea of how things were done, and like things had to lock it. And that's why, like I said, to to bring it full circle, that's why all my critiques were accurate descriptions of my work. Like, cause those were the editors. Yeah, I was, yeah, that makes sense. Those were the editors I was like smashing my head into. And they were like, well, yeah. you don't, Ed- you don't draw like Mike Grell or you don't draw like Kurswan or, you know, and yeah, for sure. You're like, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the big one I kept oh. getting compared to is Tom Grummet because he's sort of in my, he's a little bit older than me, but like, okay. he was in his heyday when like when I was coming up, and they're like, you don't draw like Tom Grummet. And I'm like, this is not a – Tom Grummet's great, <laughs> but I'm not trying to draw like Tom Grummet, you know? Like, uh, yeah, on that note, yeah, it's a, it is a good full circle thing, so maybe we should start wrapping up. Um, Sounds one, good. And I want, I do want to say thank you very much for, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. No, like, I'd uh, do it anytime. I very excited. Um, and I know when I we, we talked, I joked, like, I'm just going to ask you what it was like to work with Kevin Smith and where you get your And then, like, we <laughs> – do you want me to handle that now? <laughs> no, I don't. I, that was a joke. I, I figured those are the questions you get yes. every interview. <laughs> yes, every um, yeah. No, I just wanted to uh, you know tell you how much you mean to a generation of artists that came after you, and I wanted uh, some time to just talk with you and you know pick your mind and stuff. I know that my friend Ibrahim uh, Mustafa, yeah, he's great. You know, he had got you to write the foreword for his book, uh, uh, Retroactive. Yes, it's because like yeah. the. The title doesn't necessarily well. I guess they do jump through time, so I guess they are retroactive, <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, we both talked about how you know we both were reading those same comics. We're the roughly the same age, and we were just like we were talking about how nice it is that you're finally sort of getting your flowers from the industry that you've put so much time and <sighs> effort into, and how you know, well, I'm how you... how great it is to you know that that people are finally coming around. So. Well, I'm glad yeah. to hear that, and I, I think, I think your generation is just swell. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to like where people could find you? What they what they should look at? I'm only on Twitter. Eventually, I'll have a website pretty soon. But right oh, now, I'm just on Twitter. Well, I need to like. Um, I want to start putting my comics up for free. Oh, okay, like that's the, cool. That's cool as the, shit. Then, yeah. Yeah, the comics I own, I want to start putting them up for just people to read. 
never mind and, then. That's gonna be a, that's <laughs> gonna be a good place to go. I'm pretty sure like yeah. oh, oh the, a news section, a bio section. Who gives a fuck? But yeah, that's cool <laughs> as shit. Where where I'll be in conventions. Yeah. No, it's it's gonna be like a large. I just want it to be like a library, and then if that's you cool. like maybe buy pages from me there too. But yeah, um, that's that's definitely that's definitely. Cool. That I know be, you're an art collector. We didn't really talk about that, but I don't really delve too much into that but uh yeah there is nothing like original art like when you look at yeah, it yeah it's crazy yeah it's i only crazy. own one page it's a frank quietly that's um, pretty good though well i have i have a that's not true i have a couple that like i did with trades and stuff you know but yeah there's only one that was like that's what's your up. frank what's your frank from new x-men it's pencils oh, only yeah. and yeah. Uh, when i did it it was because i was doing a new x-men book and uh, nick patera who was a big collector right. of frank quietly Oh yeah! I was like, you should have one. You should have one. And so I traded him and some stuff, and I think he may have even paid me for it. He he was you know he was very That's supportive, cool. uh, and uh, he but he insisted insisted that I take this Frank quietly thing, and I was like, no, dude, I don't want to fuck it up. He's like, well, then don't fuck it up then. <laughs> because that's why i didn't collect the original art is i'm like i'm sloppy i'm gonna mess this stuff up like i don't i'd rather somebody who's gonna take care of it owns it you know but uh he that's cool uh yeah he gave it to me and then uh i was at the con and i met uh, grant morrison for the first time and i asked them or i was gonna take it for them to sign it because i had just done use for extinction and uh i didn't because i didn't want nick to be mad at me and then Nick was like, you didn't ask. You should have got that thing signed. What the fuck? Dumbass. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea Like that would make it more valuable. I'm like, it might ruin it for all I know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it works. Unless uh, unless they signed it like John Byrne does, like right in the middle of the page. <laughs> You'd be okay. Damn, I should have done it. But yeah, it's, oh, a, well. it's a cool page. It's like uh, from Riot at Xavier. They're like, all the parents are looking. It's like, it's really neat because they're like tiny figures, but they're like so fucking good. That, yeah, that's what's crazy. Like those tiny figures being so still so high fidelity. Yeah, it's like, drives me nuts. Like because when I once a, if, well, once a figure we, gets smaller we, than than like a thumb to me, I'm dead. <laughs> before you we know? really wrap up, because now that we're talking about what is some of the best, what are the prizes of the Phil Hester collection? So you have a lot. Just give me like a couple. Yeah, it's tough for me to say because like this change from time to time. But, like, the one thing that's, like, the biggest thing for me is I, I have a Frank Miller Daredevil page. Well, what's the... It's from the issue where he fights the Hulk. Okay. So, it's b- before Frank it's like was early. writing it. Yeah. And Roger McKenzie was still writing it. But Frank Miller's storytelling was, like, the it's From the jump, over. it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And that issue, like, came out when I was, like, 13. And, like, that issue was, like, the one I saw where I was, like, this is a different kind of comic book. Yeah. And this is the kind of storytelling I want to do. Cinematic. And so, like, when I hit, um, when I was drawing Swamp Thing, I was at a convention in Chicago. And I had, like, that's the first time, like, I had DC money, you know? Mm. And and I was also, like, making money at the con. Like, for the first time. <laughs> like, started making money at cons. And there was a dealer upstairs who had that pay, had this page where, like, the Hulk had just knocked Daredevil like onto a roof, like hit him so hard he landed on a roof, and he was yeah. like near death, but he was still gonna get up and fight the Hulk again. And I was like, "That's so awesome!" And I it was four hundred dollars, and 
I <laughs> put down my $400 and I was like, I can go home now from this convention. I think that's the same convention I met Stan Lee. It was a great, like, it was a good weekend. That's so funny. But, that, that yeah. I was next week. I want to have a David brothers on. Yeah. And he was selling, when I met Frank quietly, he was selling pages that quietly had had there. And there were pages that were like semi cheap ish. And I was yeah. like, I only have like three hundred dollars in my bank account. One of these pages is two fifty. Do I want to go downstairs, empty <laughs> my bank account, and then go and leave with the page? And I'm like, no, no, no. I, that's irresponsible. I'm not going to do that. You know. But like, that, that is was where. Really... <laughs> that yeah. was the. Uh, but I. It was like a real debate in my head. It. Um. That was like the cool thing. Like that was my calculus when I was doing cons. When there were art dealers at more cons than there are now. Now they're sort of yeah. only at the big ones. But, like, my calculus was whatever I made at this con, I can spend at this con. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never been, I've never been that guy because I, you know, I still like, uh, I'm so slow that I always feel like, no, 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 I better be careful. I better be careful. But, uh, you know, my other friend, I live vicariously through my friends who will come away with crazy shit, you know? Well, um, I mean, your stuff's going to be, your stuff's got to be creeping up there in value too. I, yeah, but I'm not selling it right now. That's why you're Walt Simonson, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, knock on wood. Let's see what happens. But yeah, you're you're Ordwaying us. <laughs> I would never Ordway you though. Whatever you want, let me know. <laughs> like somebody drops in on this, that's the first thing they hear. <laughs> I would never Ordway you. Um, but yeah, man, that's that's so cool. I love I love hearing about that. That's I just. Yeah, Frank Miller, like that Daredevil stuff was the the early oh, yeah. stuff for me too, where I'm just like, oh, you know, hit, I'm reading you know. at the library. I'm not reading it as it's coming right. out. So I I, I'm a little I'm a little jealous because all those look like shit compared to those reprints. Ugh. Marvel's I, well, reprints I would, of that old stuff disgusting. But yeah, I've gotten like a few of the issues and I, you know, I value, yeah. I treasure them. Well, I was getting it every couple It was bi-monthly at the time. And I subscribed like when my grandparents asked what I wanted for Christmas, it was always like comic subscriptions and <laughs> I was subscribed to Daredevil and like I would go check my mailbox every day. Think like even if I knew it was like still like three weeks, <laughs> like, well, it just came out. So it can't maybe be. it. Ca yeah. Maybe today that Frank Miller Daredevil came out. But yeah, he and then like to me, the stunning part of all that was like finding out later that he was like only nine years older than I was. <laughs> so like when I was 13 or 14, looking at these, like getting my mind blown, he was 22, 23. Yeah. Insane. Which is in madness. Yeah. Just madness. It, yeah. The reason I got so into Frank Miller was like 2005 Sin City came out and I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, Robert Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. El Mariachi. And you know, yeah. So, and Tarantino and all that shit. So that yeah. comes out. I watched the special features that comes, like I, I got uh, for Christmas. I asked my mom for like the, the bonus version of that fucking DVD, which had the little trade in it. And then, I, yeah, yeah, Eisner Miller, like all that shit was around the same time. So Frank Miller had like a big boom mid 2000s period where like, yeah. And then that was right before uh, All-Star, All-Star Batman and All-Star Superman came out. Right. And I hated All Star Superman because it wasn't All Star Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you dummy! <laughs> yeah, it took a while before I'm like, oh wait a minute, they were both genius. <laughs> yeah, no, like I was for me, um, Sin City is like peak Frank. Like when that yeah, came oh, out, I was like, we, this is it. This is the you know, 
we've talked about Apotheosis. this a bit because I love that that first peaks that first Sin City right before that Electra lives again is yeah. like his apex apex. There is no right. higher point for him, maybe for any comic artist because it's like he's drawing the best. He's has the best, the best storytelling. Yeah, you know it's it's all it's all amazing. And the stories that he's doing are fucking sick. Yeah, but it was such a great. Like I knew the ed- my my editor at Dark Horse was also Frank's editor mm. at the time, Jerry Prosser, and I was like, "What?" I was like, "What do you do?" Like, don't take this the wrong way, Jerry, but wh- what do you do on Sin City? <laughs> and he's like, "I open the FedEx box. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you print what's there. <laughs> and if and if something is misspelled, I don't correct it. I call Frank to make sure it's he didn't misspell it's it on to purpose." Be. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Was... Well, on that note, I guess uh, let's we should wrap it up because I really, All really right. didn't want to go even as long as we did. I don't want to keep Ridiculous. you. Ridiculous. But it's been really fun talking, man. It's really, really yeah, good. Yeah, anytime. Anytime you want to do it again, let me know. Oh, I'd love to hear that because, uh, you know, I could I, I could go either way. He could be like, don't ever fucking talk to me again. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Lose my number, Ramon. Enough. All right, man. Take it away. No jersey.